0: Thank you, Jim. Always I'm blessed by your playing, and uh, there's just a calmness and a beauty about it. Thank you very, very much. <laughs> I saw somebody wanted to clap there. Yeah, bless you. Good morning again to everyone. That was such a surprise for Dave and Patty and Ruthie and I, and thank you all, uh, eagle nesters. I think we're all eagle nesters for life, but uh, thank you for that, that wonderful uh, recognition. We we bless you and we thank you for that. It was great to hear from David and Heather and uh, you guys are heroes for us and uh, everything that you've done for Jesus, I believe, in China will uh, go on for all of eternity making a difference and the work is continuing to expand and I expect that at some point you'll be back there at least to visit. So we we bless you and we thank you for, for being here. I want to especially recognize a, a special person here this morning. Uh, you have met on stage, her husband General Sada, um, Esther Sada, or really her real name is Esther Koshaba. Uh, in the Syrian culture, uh, ladies keep their their uh, maiden names, so her name is Koshaba. But Esther, would you stand? And we want to welcome you. You know, General Sada is a a great hero uh, to to many of us. He uh, uh, publicly disagreed with Saddam Hussein 18 times and lived to tell about it. Twice he talked uh, Saddam out of attacking Israel with chemical weapons, and uh, he saved the lives of around 45 American and allied pilots at the end of uh, the first Gulf War. And uh, so a, a heroic life, but Esther, you are just as much of that heroic life. You stood behind and beside George and pray for him, and so we, we honor you and we bless you. I want to again thank all of you for praying for me during this season of my life. Uh, it's, it's been an amazing time, and in fact, what I'm going to share this morning is kind of some reflections on, on what's been happening in my heart during these days, during these months, and uh, I want you to know that I'm I'm doing uh, much much better. I can I can walk you know pretty pretty well, and I thank the Lord for that. And uh, I, it's it's really difficult to to just say that I'm stronger one day uh, and then I'm mean, the next day a little bit stronger. But I know that every week I'm making progress. Like this morning I was up before six. I was on my bike. Uh, Kirk, you'll be pleased to hear this. On my bike on a stationary trainer, did about. 20 minutes, then I did my workout, so about 45 minutes I was working out this morning, so that's my morning routine, and uh, my, my leg is getting stronger incrementally, and I believe sincerely and fully and completely that my healing is because of the excellent work of a godly surgeon, the team that worked with him, and the prayers of the saints, and, and I, I just can't thank you enough, I'm just, I'm just overwhelmed when I think that many of you have prayed for me faithfully and even daily. And so thank you, and thank you for your ongoing prayers that the Lord will continue to perfect the work that he has begun in, in me and in all of us. I mean, we are uh, in process. You know, None of us have, have arrived, as it were. There's, there's so many things I'd like to share, but can I just very briefly, and I, that I mentioned Esther's name, uh, talk about Iraq. As, as you know, uh, the Syrian crisis has spilled over into that entire region. The United Nations now calls the Syrian refugee crisis the largest humanitarian crisis in the history of their organization. So uh, over 3 million Syrians have been displaced uh, beyond the borders of Syria, 8 million inside their country. Close to 200,000 have been killed. And in the very recent past, a huge amount of ethnic Christians have become IDPs, internally displaced persons, inside of Iraq. Leaving the old Nineveh, which is now called Muso, the Nineveh Plain, and the many Christian villages in that region, they flooded into uh, northern uh, Iraq into Kurdistan, into Erbil and other cities, and they are living in the most difficult, unimaginable conditions. Some are living in abandoned buildings, some uh, in partly constructed buildings, hundreds have taken over school buildings uh, some uh, one, one church is taking care of a 1,000 families, 200 living right on campus, on the church campus, many of them sleeping under the stars at night. Another assemblies church cares for 500 families, 70 of them living actually in the church building. Uh, the pastors emptied all of their offices and, and opened it up to those who could fit in. Uh, one of the uh, great brothers that works with us just gave us some recent reports. He had just visited a School hall, where he found about a hundred refugees, two toilets for the hundred of them. In fact, disease is a huge, huge problem uh, for these thousands of people that are displaced. Uh, they they came uh, with virtually nothing on their uh, with them except the clothes on their back, confused as to what had happened, and more confused as to what the future holds for them. So uh, they're living in these conditions. Uh, the, our, our our brother. Aram described one hall where 100 people are living. They are, are using mattresses to carve out little uh, four square meter sections. That'd be two meters or two two yards in each direction. People, uh, families of five, living in those kinds of tight quarters. Five or ten of the, the, the families had expectant uh, ladies who are just about to give birth. I mean, those kinds of conditions. They described the People uh, that were on Sinjar Mountain, some of the children were actually trying to drink or trying to get milk from female dogs, just just drinking, uh, trying to get something to sustain them. They were picking up cigarette butts, children were putting them in water just to eat something, to put something into their their stomachs. So I could go on and on, but I just wanted to say please continue to pray for, uh, especially the ethnic Christians who are... in in many ways, brothers and sisters. They don't know the Lord the way we do, many of them, but they are proud to be Christians. They've been Christians for a 1,000 years. Their families have. And we're believing that at this very critical and dark moment, there is a great opportunity for them to come to know Jesus in a very personal way. Uh, Aram shared another story, a wonderful story, of a young man he'd been reaching out to. And and he called Aram and said, I haven't heard from you, where are you? And he said, well, I'm taking care of the refugees. I mean, I'm working really, really hard. He said, well, can I come with you? And he came with him. And Aram and Anata were sharing Jesus with just scores of refugees, telling them, we're doing this because of the love of Christ. And this young man was so impacted. He said, I want to, I want to become a Christian. I, I, I just I am just, so excited about what you're doing. And so the next day after Aram had given him a Bible to read, he said, I want to receive Jesus. I want to be baptized. So, I mean, those kinds of things are happening. Not in big numbers yet, but they're happening. And so it's a very critical and amazing moment uh, in uh, northern Iraq. So, continue to pray for all those who are working there and for not only ethnic Christians, but for the Yazidis, for the Shabaks, for the uh, Sunni Muslims. I mean, there's a whole, close to 850,000 that have come to Kurdistan over the last uh, year and a half. They all. Uh, need Christ desperately. As many of you know, uh, you know what, I've got s- some things I'm going to share, and I know that the clock is going, so when it's about time to stop, I'll just stop. So I'll, I'll just... <laughs> don't don't uh, be concerned if, if you're thinking that, hey, we're not uh, getting to the ending point. Well, the ending point will be when it's time to stop. But uh, I... Uh, had a lot of time to reflect over the last six months, a lot of time to pray, a lot of time to talk with Ruthie and the family, and uh, I wanted to share a little bit from a couple of books that, that made a huge impact on my life, On my life, of course, this book, the book of all books, a book that I'm going to uh, actually read a few sections from to you this morning called The Resol- Resolution for Men, and then uh, David and Goliath, I don't know if any of you have read David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell, an amazing amazing book so anyway uh, some of you uh, many of you know that I used to drive tour buses for craft tours, and uh, I loved the challenge of it it was it was really, really great. The challenge being not so much that that you know I'd, I drove a bus, but I would I would actually I would be the pastor i 'd be the tour guide i 'd be the driver, and I'd take these uh, uh, Retired people, particularly from Central Oklahoma, from Tulsa, on tours of New England, and great, great stuff in the fall about this time of year. And then uh, we'd come through Boston, the history of Boston, Philadelphia, New York. It was, it was all great. My favorite day often on the trip was we'd get up, get up real early, about five o'clock in the morning, uh, come out of Cape Cod, and follow uh, Interstate 94 into New York State. We'd come into uh, uh, the New York metro area, cross the East River into Upper Harlem, and then I bring uh, this group of Oklahomans who had never probably been east of the Mississippi from Harlem down Fifth Avenue past Central Park, and into all the glitz and the energy and the crowds and the taxi cabs and everything that happens in Midtown uh, Manhattan. Some of you are sounding you know what it's like there. And then we make our way slowly and I mean, these people are just gawking everywhere. What is, what is happening? <laughs> We'd get down to Battery Park right across from uh, the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, so those were great times. I love them. And uh, I remember coming back uh, from one tour, and I'd always get with Mr. and Mrs. Craft, give him a report, and always thought I you know, did a pretty good job. I, I worked at it really, really hard. On one occasion, I came back, and... Uh, gave the report, a lot of great things happened. I don't even remember what went wrong on this particular tour, but there there was some incident. And the Lord has actually totally washed that away. I don't, I don't, I don't remember what it even was, so I can't even honestly tell you. But Mrs. Kraft, as we reviewed the trip on that particular time, said uh, a couple of words that just were so, so uh, had such a sobriety to them, that I still remember them to this day. She said, Joel, it happened on your watch. You were the one responsible on that particular tour. Again, it was was not a life and death thing. It was probably somebody that was kind of upset. Maybe they didn't get to see something that they were supposed to. I'm I'm not really sure what it was. But uh, that phrase has stayed with me, and in fact, if I don't get to say much more today, I want to give you the summary before we get to what I was going to say, I'd like to speak to us for just a few moments about the reality that one day we will give an account on how we did in our moment on our watch. Did we carry out our mission effectively and faithfully? So let's get started. I'm going to take you on another tour to Washington, D.C. Many of you have been there. If you've not, when you go, please see the Lincoln Memorial. It's an amazing place. See it late at night when you're tired, perhaps, when nobody else is there. And very likely you'll just be weeping at the the beauty and the depth and the incredible uh, leadership of uh, Abraham Lincoln when you, when you read the uh, Gettysburg Address and the second inaugural address etched in the marble of that beautiful place. But I, I hope also that you will at, attempt to make a trip to Arlington National Cemetery. You need to be there to see the changing of the guard. The guard is changed every hour on the hour, October October 1st through uh, March 31st, but from April 1st through September 30th, the guard is changed every 30 minutes. So you get a lot of chances to see the changing of the guard. The Tomb of the Unknown was completed in 1926, and the honor guard duties are handled by the 3rd U.S. Infra- infantry Regiment, uh, the oldest infantry unit in the army active since 1784. They're aptly known as the Old Guard. Let me describe to you how it happens. I'd love for our military heroes, those we even prayed for, or Spencer or someone to really describe this, but I'll do this in layman's, layman's words and and describe what happens. The relief commander conducts a detailed white glove inspection of the weapon carried by the relieving sentinel, checking each part of the rifle once. Then the relief commander and the relieving sentinel, there's three soldiers involved here. Then the relief commander and the relieving sentinel meet the retiring sentinel at the center of the matted path in front of the tomb of the unknown soldier All three salute the unknown who have been symbolically given the Medal of Honor. Then the relief commander orders the relieved sentinel, pass on your orders. The current sentinel commands, post and orders remain as directed. The newly posted sentinel replies, orders acknowledged, and steps into position on the black mat. When the relief commander passes by, the new sentinel begins walking at a cadence of 90 steps per minute. The Tomb guard marches 21 steps down the black mat behind the tomb, turns, faces faces east for 21 seconds, turns, faces north for 21 seconds, then takes 21 steps down the mat and repeats the process. After the turn, the sentinel executes a sharp shoulder-arms movement to place the weapon on the shoulder closer to the visitors to signify that the sentinel stands between the tomb and any possible threat. Of course, you know 21 was chosen because it symbolizes the highest military honor that can be bestowed, the 21-gun salute. At the end of his watch, which is... uh, about probably 17 minutes or so, the same procedure is repeated exactly as I described it above. The new relief commander orders a now-being relief sentinel, pass on your orders. The current sentinel commands, post, and orders remain as directed. And the newly posting sentinel replies, orders acknowledged. That same procedure, with the same commands, has been going on for decades, at least since 1948. You know, when we signed up for the Lord's army, these are the orders we received. You know them so well. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, all ethnic, all ethnic groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This week I checked with Jim Garrett, our in-house theologian and Greek scholar, uh, just about about, what what the tense of the verbs is in the passage. Jim explained to me, and many of you know this, the word go is actually a participle, and its more complete meaning is if, when, and as you go. And this participle is typically translated in the imperative, in the commanding sense. And so... uh, the, uh, the way we need to understand this is, if, when, and as you go, make, that is in the imperative, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the, end of the age, The command is to make disciples. The command is to go and keep on making disciples. Nothing has changed. The post and orders remain as directed. Our role on the day that we receive Christ and today should be to say, Orders acknowledged. We are to continue to go. We are to continue to make disciples of all nations. We are to continue to baptize the new disciples. We are to continue to teach them to obey everything Christ commanded us. He's promised to be with us to the end of the age. It is so critically important that we continue to go and make disciples of all nations. Patty Eland and and, uh, actually last week Megan Failer both referenced Psalm 145. Let me read a part of that. I will, extel, I will extol you my God the king I will praise your name forever and ever every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise his greatness no one can fathom one generation will command your works commend your works to another they will tell of your mighty acts they will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The responsibility of one generation commending his works to another is clearly underlined. Let's listen to Joshua's orders, in some ways quite similar to the Great Commission as he uh, took charge after the passing of Moses. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. We heard about courageous faith. Be strong and courageous because you will lead this people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. And as you read through Joshua chapter 1, uh, that phrase is repeated several times. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Only be strong and courageous. So you can see I'm not saying anything new to you this morning. Just reviewing what the Lord has clearly said. I'm like Vince Lombardi, the great and now deceased football coach of the Green Bay Packers. At the beginning of, uh, I want to call fall practice, but it would have been much earlier, in the middle of the summer when the Packers would come together, Vince Lombardi would have the opening speech to the team, and he would uh, hold a football in his hand and and say, this is a football. That's how he would begin. And then uh, before the speech was over, he would say, Love God first, love your family second, and love the Green Bay Packers. And so uh, I'd like to echo uh, Vince Lombardi this morning uh, to say, uh, you know, we are to love God first, we're to love our families, and that we are to love his church, and see it established not only here, but in every ethnic group. We do need to remind ourselves, this moment is our moment. This is our watch. We'll not get another. This life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. That's a famous phrase, and it's true. We need to take responsibility for our generation And this will not necessarily mean the same thing for each of us. For some of us, it's to uh, perhaps, perhaps the Lord is saying to you, uh, you need to be reaching out in a new way to your children. And I want to say uh, in the midst of all what I'm saying, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We need to uh, rejoice The Holy Spirit does not condemn. The Holy Spirit is our comforter, our guide, our counselor. We get to do these things. We get to be on Jesus' team. The Holy Spirit inspires us. That same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead courses through our veins. And uh, we get to be co-laborers with Christ We get to be his ambassadors. We get to be his emissaries. We get to tell the greatest message man has ever heard to those who are lost and undone here at home and at the ends of the earth. So as we move into this fall season, and uh, I can't further uh, emphasize enough what uh, Bill already said about uh, the opportunities that we have here at TCF, and especially uh, the fall seminar, Living Courageously in a Declining Culture, Let's avail ourselves of these opportunities that we can continue to be effective to go into all the world. You know, Earl Roberts, years ago, spoke of going into every man's world. You'll remember that phrase. All of us from ORU, ORU Gras, remember that. For many of us, going into the world is going into our world here in Tulsa. Think of the people that live on your block, think of the people that the Lord is reminding you of this morning. Jerusalem, Judea, and the other parts of the earth is great, but nothing is wrong with reaching out to Jerusalem, to Tulsa, if that's where God has you planted, if that is where God has placed you. Here's a what if. What if each of us would reach one family for the Lord this fall? I think we can do that. What if we would pray for this family every day? What if we'd live in this expectancy that God is going to give us a unique opportunity to win this family, to give us an opportunity to invite them in our home or or meet them for a meal or or do something to to reach out to them? You may have felt for some time that you needed to reach out to someone. Well, I want you to know that's the Holy Spirit uh, speaking to you and, and you need to follow through We do need to take responsibility. We are our brother's keepers. Who else will tell the next generation of his mighty works? Who else will tell of his mighty acts? Who else will tell the next generation of the glorious splendor of his majesty? Who else will speak of the power of his awesome works or proclaim his great deeds? Who else will explain the plan of salvation to the next generation? Who else will tell the story of Jesus to those just starting out in this life. How do we do it? How do we take responsibility for our generation on our watch? As I already mentioned, I I read a number of books. In the early days of my recovery, it was a a spiritual retreat for me. I wouldn't choose to do it that way again, but it it was a special, special time. One of the books that, in addition to the scripture, that had such an impact on me is called The Resolution for Men. I bought a copy for each of my son-in-laws, wrote a personal encouragement to them in it, and wanted them as well to benefit uh, from the challenge. This book has challenged me in some ways to the core of my being, and I I just want to read a little bit uh, for you from it and uh, I'm watching the time as well. I already mentioned Joshua's name. The Old Testament leader Joshua was a man of resolution. He knew who he was and what his responsibilities were. Time and again, his boldness, faith, and courage rallied the fearful, forgetful men of Israel to battle and conquest. Finally standing before them near the end of his life, delivering a farewell address to his countrymen His wholehearted resolve and commitment to God, as the leader of his family, still showed through when he said, If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Throughout history, men who lived incredible lives and left great legacies did it intentionally. They knew that men do not stumble upon integrity, or accidentally find themselves being faithful to God. Passivity merely leads to futility. A man cannot be passive about what Scripture tells him to. A man cannot be passive about what Scripture tells him to do for his family and expect to be found faithful to God in the end. He must see with spiritual eyes and realize that future generations are directly impacted by his daily decisions. God's word is calling us to man up, to be all he's created us to be and do all he's prepared for us to do. We read a couple of other uh, paragraphs here. This book has a strong and courageous flavor to it. Our generation desperately needs courageous men to stand up. We need men who will not be swayed by the culture or afraid of criticism. We need men who are resolved to lead their families no matter what. We need men to teach sexual purity to their sons and daughters so that more children won't enter the world without married parents. We need men who stick to their marriage vows and cry out for God's help to love their wives rather than giving up during difficult times. We need men who refuse to sacrifice their families for the sake of a promotion at work, men who refuse to let entertainment eat up their time and deaden their consciences, men who will speak out against laws and philosophies that are destroying families, Men who will forgive their dads, break chains of the past, and set new standards. Men who will pray for their pastors and for revival in their churches and make decisions that will strengthen the next generation. We need to be these men, and we need one another. When strong men work together, they can accomplish amazing things. And the writer references 2 Samuel 30, a powerful picture of how men and effectively support one another in one generation, in our generation. The armies of David had come together to face their enemies amid seemingly impossible odds. Joab, David's commanding general, recognized that the battle was against him, both in front and in the rear. A desperate situation. But he and his brother Abishai decided to work together, support one another, and then trust God's power, knowing the results were in his hands. Joab challenged his brother with these bold words. If the Arameans are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the sons of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will come to your help. Be strong and let us show ourselves courageous for the sake of our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. As you well remember, their gutsy strategy worked. God blessed their courage and teamwork and brought a powerful victory in the midst of what seemed like an impossible situation. Men today are feeling intense pressure all around them. The dark depravity of our culture and the desperate needs of the next generation stand in front of us. The mistakes of our fathers and sins of our own past stand against us from behind. But we need to remember one immovable, unconditional truth. We have a Father in heaven who is for us, our loving provider, our strong protector, our truthful leader, our respectable authority, and our intimate friend. He loves us unconditionally. He alone is a majority, and the battle always belongs to him. For if he is for us, it doesn't matter who is against us. Let me just take just a couple more minutes. We are here on this earth at this moment to be like his son, Jesus Christ. We are here to, uh, to boldly speak the words, do the work, and carry out the will of our Father. Regardless of what our culture says, Regardless of what other men do, we must be courageous to lead our marriages and our families for the sake of the one we represent and for the sake of the generations that, we, that will come after us. We must learn to stand up together, become men of resolution, and boldly say, if my battle gets too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if your battle is too strong for you, then I will come to help you. Be strong and let us show ourselves courageous for the sake of our people and for the cities of our God, and may the Lord do what is good in his sight. Let me just uh, kind of wrap this up by uh, especially for the men, uh, read the chapter titles. I think you'll be really challenged why we need men of resolution, a lifelong vision of fatherhood, becoming a chain breaker, resolve to be a man of responsibility, resolve to lead your family, resolve to love your wife, resolve to bless your children, resolve to live with honor, resolve to fight for justice, resolve to demonstrate love, resolve to provide for your family, resolve to reconcile with your past, resolve to live with integrity, resolve to be found faithful, resolve to leave a legacy You realize the scripture makes it clear that a man is an image bearer of God. What an amazing thought that is. Genesis 1, 26, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. God specifically formed man in such a way that he sees his very likeness in us. What an honor and what a mysterious privilege. For though men and women are clearly equal before God, neither of them more valuable to him than the other. The scriptures do indicate a difference in the unique way a man bears God's image and brings him glory that is a part of this manhood. A man is the image and glory of God and the woman is the glory of man. As an image bearer of God, how are we advancing the gospel message on our watch? You know, we don't have to wait until we have it all together. God doesn't look for perfect men or perfect women. He looks for those who have committed their lives to Christ, who are available, and who are uh, prepared for the Lord to continue to do his work of perfecting us as we are in the fight going forward. The last chapter in this book is entitled, Resolve to Leave a Legacy. I think all of us men, this kind of sounds like a Father's Day message, but I think the ladies are benefiting as well. We want to spend the rest of our life preparing to stand before God. That day will come and hear Him say, well done. Every father is first to be a faithful follower of Christ, second, a faithful husband, third, a faithful father, and then a strong spiritual leader in the world. We go forward intentionally with courage and resolve. Terry Law says, the Lord opens doors for those who will go. But the noble man makes noble plans and by noble deeds he stands. Jesus' core values were to seek and save the lost, to build the church, to destroy the works of the devil, and to do only those things that pleased his father. We need to continue to make those core values our own as well. God bless all of you. Be strong and courageous. The battle is the Lord's, and he is with us. Let's, let's really seize the moment this fall. I just have a sense of excitement. Uh, God is doing some wonderful things in our midst. And let's uh, realize that uh, there are people that we have a direct impact on and influence. Uh, just like the young boy in Iraq who saw Nader Naram sharing Jesus. He said, I want to become a Christian. I love what I see in you guys. There's people like that here in Tulsa, and we know them. They just need to have some more interaction with us. God bless you. Thank you.